Thank you, Paul, and good afternoon. Um, one of the things I'd like to just catch up with, uh, um, I had gotten an, a text from Eli Nordquist. We've been praying here for uh, Braden uh, Gilman, and uh, he had just texted me here today. I uh, wanted to update you on Braden. Uh, they leave today for Kalispell. A baseline hearing check, I'm not sure what that's about tomorrow. Surgery for the Metaport on Tuesday. Chemo on Wednesday and another drug on Thursday, depending on how Braden handles treatment. Praying it all goes well, they will be home by next weekend. Thank you for all your prayers. So uh, Braden uh, just turned five. Last week he's got uh, a liver, a tumor, a cancerous tumor on his liver. And it's been removed successfully. But uh, again, uh, we would, as they've asked us, and we're excited and delighted to pray for Braden. So I wanted to just bring that to your attention today. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to uh, the book of Matthew once again. Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we continue on in our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Not sure how far we're going to, uh, to go, but so far it's been delightful for myself, hopefully for you as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, as we've went through the Beatitudes, literally Jesus talking about the characteristics that would come when one would trust him and then becoming salt and light. And then we've moved into his perspective, if you will, what God, I'm sorry, what Jesus Christ thought about the, the law, the Old Testament. And with that, let's read that passage together once again today. I believe uh, we may have one more session next week in the conclusion of these four verses, Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin now reading at verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. May God add a special blessing in the reading of his word. And let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have on this day, a glorious sun-filled day that allows us to see your majestic handiwork, your creative beauty. Father, we'll thank you for these moments that we've been brought together. We thank you for the safety that was given to us. We also, Father, ask that you would take this time that we have now and it would bring us closer to you. We would ask for you to work just as Jesus was talking about the internal things, starting from the inside out. Father, we would ask that you would do that very thing here. We look with anticipation of what you're going to accomplish within us today. We would ask that... These moments would be yours, that you would be glorified, and we would be made better. It's for our good, Father, for you to use the Word of God in accordance to us. Thank you now, Father. We'll also ask that the Holy Spirit would be exclusively our teacher today. Calm our hearts, forgive us of our sins, allow us to see you clearly, especially, Father, that at the end of these moments that we would say that we've never been closer to you. That is our prayer. We would ask that, Father, you would conclude it, that you would give us everything we need to be more like Jesus Christ, your Son. Conform us as you need to. 
And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, today we, uh, I think it's actually our th- no, no, it's second session on this particular passage of Scripture. Uh, literally, today we're going to be looking at the believer's relationship to the law. Um, one of the things that, uh, for myself, that I'm, I'm very interested in is I want to know what Jesus Christ thinks about the law. Now, one of the things we talked about last week was when Jesus said in uh, verse, let's see, which verse were we at? Verse 17, chapter 5, think not, he, this, he hit this are his words, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. It, that certainly would be the Old Testament it's in entirety, not just the five books of Moses, not just the Ten Commandments, but the entire Old Testament. He did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. And I want to know, personally, I want to know, what does Jesus think of the Old Testament? Now, today, there's, there's many thoughts in the sense of, if you're a believer in Christ, if you've trusted him as Savior, that literally the Old Testament is old, that's set aside, and now we're under grace, we're in the New Testament. That's a very common theme. But what does Jesus say about the Old Testament? I think that's really important. If he, as he said, we're done with it, is it, we no longer need it? Uh, that's not at all what he said. In fact, he said, and we'll be talking about this as we move on through our journey today, the sense that he came to fulfill it. And there was aspects we talked about in breaking the law down into three components, and we'll be talking about that in a moment as well. But it's very interesting that Jesus, and it's interesting too, I think, is the timing of this. This Sermon on the Mount, which we've looked at verses, chapter 5, verses uh, 3 through 12, which talk about the characteristics of those that have trusted Christ, literally. He's asking, this is his inaugural speech, and he's saying, this is how you get to the kingdom of heaven, being humble being meek, being mournful over your sin, being merciful, being a peacemaker, and as a peacemaker, you'll probably enjoy persecution. In fact, in our world today, isn't it? If one really comes in wanting to exercise truth, and that's the only way peace can come, truth must prevail, you probably will be persecuted. And I'm sure I left one out. Can anyone remember? There's about eight of them in verses 3 through 4, but it's okay. You can review at home. And then he went on to say when you're that, when those characteristics that are revealed within you Literally, you become salt and light to the world. And I, as, we, as we mentioned, we need a lot of salt and light in the world today. And that's truly what really does matter. As, a, as an aside, I would also like to thank you for praying for me. Uh, there was a service that I did for a young lady, 27 years old, died of complications of diabetes. Didn't know the family, uh, but I appreciate you praying because I had the opportunity to share the gospel, to share with that family that, Literally, what does matter today? Reality matters. The reason 100 people were gathered there on that, after, or that morning was the fact that death happens, and every single one of us there and here will die. That's reality, and reality matters. But even more importantly than that is the fact that truth matters. The Word of God, I want to know the truth. I don't want to know. It was one of the things that this young girl, you know, I go to the family a couple of days before and getting, uh, uh, just getting, acquainted, if you will. I want to know. what you, I, In this case, I said, please share. Tell me who this young lady was. I want to know what she, what she likes and also what she doesn't like. It was interesting. One of the things that she did not like was being lied to. Every single one of us in this room, I would say the same. I don't want to be lied to. And that's why truth matters. One of the things that's gone wrong with our country over the last 40 or 50 years is the fact that absolute truth has went out the window. No longer do we even know what truth is. But I'm here to say reality matters, truth matters, and above all, Jesus matters. Jesus is the one that literally when you dive into truth, he's the one that conquered it. He's the one that took everything that we deserved, and he handled it. 
Jesus matters. But the really cool part is, is I could say to everyone that was there that day because he loved us before we loved him is the fact that you matter to God. You matter to God. Jesus died for you. Those are, those are wonderful things that are timeless, aren't they? Because of the truth that we have. So just quickly, uh, thank you for sharing that. There was 100 people there in that backyard on Thursday morning. God's working. God is working. Salt and light. But now we find ourselves, we're, we're just stepping into another, Jesus, what's Jesus going to say next? Those who would have been gathered, <laughs> listening to him at his inaugural address, he's on this side of the mountain, seated, talking to literally thousands of people, and he's talked about the characteristic would be totally 180 degrees different than what the Pharisees and scribes would have told him to be. And then he tells them to be salt and light, and the next thing he talks about is the law. <laughs> I want to know what he said. Well, one of the things that are several things we even talked about last week was the sense that it's preeminent. The law is preeminent. We'll just read you just momentarily. The law, that means it's first. It's first and foremost. Why? Because God authored it. That's a really good reason. Secondarily, the prophets. What? You remember what we learned about the prophets last week? They really were God's mouthpiece. And you know what they did? If you go through the prophets in the Old Testament, you'll find that they continually repeated what God had said that the people had forgotten or totally went the wrong way. Prophets were reminders of the law. So they really reiterated it. And then the law is preeminent because Jesus Christ literally fulfilled it. He fulfilled it, and we talked about, we'll keep these three things in mind as we go forward. We're going to just take a little bit of a break because we're going to talk about the second thing about the law that Jesus talks about in verse 18, and then we're going to move on. But three aspects of the law that I think are extremely important is, number one, the moral law. That has not ceased. Yes, Jesus fulfilled it. He accomplished it. He did not sin. He took all of the law and fulfilled it, and it still goes on today. We'll be talking about it as we go on. The second part of the law was the judicial or the civil law. And that would have been in accordance with, if you read Leviticus and you read uh, Numbers and some of those other early books of Moses, it talks about very distinct and unique laws and ceremonies and ordinances that would have separated the land of Israel, the nation of Israel, from the rest of the world. That was really what God was trying to do. I, I want this people, this unique, this special people, the Jews, to literally stick out in the rest of the world, to see that I'm working with them. And as you know, as Jesus would have hung on that cross, that would have been the completion of that phase of the civil or the judicial system. They had killed their Messiah. Now, he's not done with them, thankfully. He's still working with them. He, the, the period which we talked about last week, the tribulation period, the seven years of time, which right now we're in a parenthesis. We're in the church age as Jesus Christ died for not only the Jews, but for the church, which began under the Feast of Pentecost, these 2,000 plus years now, Jesus Christ started a brand new work. And thankfully, the Jews were set aside for a moment anyway, in a moment in time, where with God, time is nothing. He created time. But in this interim, probably most of us here, because of God's grace that was exhibited, because he broke down the walls between Jew and Gentile for this period, we can be joint heirs with Christ. That's a wonderful thing. We need to be thankful for the rest of, our, rest of eternity, quite honestly. And then the third point, which I just forgot. 
So that means we'll just move on. That's how I've always found it to be. If you forget something, move on. Don't, don't. I have no idea even where I was at in regards to that. There was something, though, that was really seemed... Well, let's move on. Pre- preeminence, and that's the first reason, the first thing that Jesus Christ has laid out. This is number one. God authored it. The prophets reiterated it. And literally, Jesus Christ came to fulfill it. In verse 18, let's talk about this momentarily. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. But the sense of the law is also permanent. It's permanent. Watch what he says, verse 18 of chapter 5. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now when you consider that, that the law will continue until heaven and earth shall pass away, which that hasn't happened. Now there's a time coming. There's a time coming in 2 Peter we read about in chapter 3 that literally it will literally be gone and we will move into a new heaven and a new earth. And until that time, God's word, not one jot or one tittle. Now, do you guys know what a jot or tittle? How many of you have used the terms this week, one jot or one tittle? (laughs) Probably no one, correct? Well, to make it, uh, you could go into, I could use some words, uh, some Greek words that would would clarify this, but I'm going to just say it this way. A jot, literally, if I were to write the word I am, and you put that little, what's that little tick between there? An apostrophe. That's what a jot is. It's an apostrophe. Now, let's take we, a tittle would be if we had the word, the letter P, or the letter F, let's see, we'll make it like that. To make an R out of a P is just one little extension. Or the letter E, I'm sorry, the letter F becomes E by putting that little line in the bottom. That is a tittle. So what he's saying is, even the most minute additions in all of the law, nothing will change, literally, until heaven and earth pass away. And then it even says, in fact, let's go to, I think it's in chapter 5. Let's go to verse 24. It just popped in my mind. I'm hoping I'm right. That is wrong. Okay, very good. Um, Let me try something else. Might have written it down somewhere. Where did I put that? You guys are so patient today. Appreciate that. Even though those that you aren't, I appreciate that too. Um, I must not have written it down. Oh, there it is. I wrote down the wrong verse. Yeah, that's why I come up with 24. But at any rate... um, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. That's what Jesus Christ is even saying. That's in addition to the Old Testament he spoke of. All of the word will not pass away. It's eternal. It's eternal. It's permanent. Permanent. Watch, uh, watch now in verse 19. It says this. We've moved from preeminence to permanence to pertinence. Whosoever therefore, oh, what, what, what's the rule if you find a therefore? Find what it's there for, right? So what has he just said? Whosoever therefore, in other words, we've talked about the law being preeminent first. Number one, God authored it. The prophets continue to reiterate. Christ came to fulfill it. And then it's permanent. We just talked about that. It's going to last to the very end. Because of that, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. 
Now that word destroy, did you see it in verse 17? Think not that I am come to destroy the law. In verse 19 it says, whosoever therefore shall break. Uh, those are actually the same root word in the sense of to loose, to release, to nullify, to destroy. It's the sense of taking away or to break down. Anyone that would break one of these least commandments. Now, uh, if you've listened here for any period of time, you'll know that I'm, I'm a believer that because of the word of God, James 2.10 says, for if you offend, let's go to James 2.10. I think this ties in nicely, but it's interesting that there are least and weightier matters of the law. Turn with me to James chapter 2, verse 10, though, first. James chapter 2 and verse 10. And James is that book where the rubber meets the road as such. Show me your faith by your works. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, that's, uh, that sounds exactly what it is. Now, what does Jesus say? There's the least. And then if you look back in Matthew chapter 5, you find that he also says, that uh, whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great. So we have consequences as, revolt, as a result of this pertinence. Uh, consequences, negative is the one that would break or to d destroy and nullify by disobedience or ignorance. What's he talking about? Let's turn, turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 22 and verse 35. I want you to see that in the sense of weightier or bigger, Laws, it's pretty descript. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. Then one of them, I should, let's step back to verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, wow. In other words, now we just read in James 2.10 that if you keep the whole law, but you break one, you're guilty of all. Now, that's, that's true. In other words, a lawbreaker is a lawbreaker, whether it's a little one or a big one. But what Jesus is going to do now, he's been asked a question, which is really significant. What is the biggest, what is the greatest law in the commandments? How's Jesus going to answer this? He does it this way. He says, verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now that's exactly the same words he uses to describe the law back in chapter 5 and verse 17. The law and all of the prophets. So this is a biggie. In fact, he's saying these two, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Those two, everything else can be fit onto those two. Those are awesome. Those are big time, big time. Now, I would say if we as Americans are a citizen anywhere, if we took those two and applied them, our world would be way better, wouldn't it? Okay? But now watch this. On the flip side of that, turn just over to chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, maybe just one page for you all. Uh, Matthew 23 and verse 23. He's speaking to the scribes and Pharisees in this case. He says, verse 23, chapter 23 of Matthew, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted, watch, the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. So did you see what Jesus said right here? He said the tithing, not that it's not important, but in comparison, it is a weightier matter to love the Lord thy God. In other words, there's ways to get to the tithe. If tithing is how you're going to get to God, you've missed it. It's, that's, again, that's an external event. Jesus, what does he talk about all through the scriptures? Internal matters. Internal matters. Actually, the Jews had divided the Old Testament and their own laws into 613 commands. There was 248 positive, and there was 365 negative. And my mind just thought, well, that's perfect. One for every day. One negative for every single day. Well, there we go. There we go. The interesting part of this is, let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, is the fact that if one breaks or destroys or to nullify one of these commandments and teaches other men to do so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. The good news is, is that they're still in the kingdom of heaven. But the breaking of the law is of utmost importance. And right away, we're a little bit taken back by that because aren't we living in grace? Aren't we under grace? And the laws behind us, doesn't that kind of... Well, that's why we need to make some really strong clarifications. What is all included in the law? What is all included? So let's go to... uh, We'll start this. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. As you're turning there, if you think about the moral law, which would be captioned in uh, the Ten Commandments, if you will, it is an extension of God's character and His nature. The moral law literally is an extension of God's character and His nature. And it's still binding because God doesn't change. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10. You are witnesses in God also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. That's consistent. Turn over to chapter 4 and verse 7, same 1 Thessalonians. For God hath not called us, this is 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Turn with me then to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. You'll start to see some things. That, that The sense of freedom is the freedom to be righteous. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. These things command and teach commandments. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. Watch this now. But thou, 1 Timothy 6, 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. See, God's law hasn't stopped. I'm sorry, the moral law has not stopped. It's continuing because it truly is an extension of God's character and his nature. Now, as we've talked about, there are some things that literally, because Jesus Christ came, he has fulfilled portions of the law. And that's why when, this is one of the things you may ask yourself, when I hear the word law, what am I thinking of? What do I hear? What do I hear? Well, one of the things that did, in fact, get completely fulfilled, we've mentioned it, we're going to continue because it keeps us focused, is the civil or the judicial law. Those are unique ordinances, unique laws 
for the nation Israel. And when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, that was the end because they were set aside for those moments. There was a, now watch, watch how we can see this happening. Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. As we moved into this parenthesis time called the church or the age of grace, Ephesians chapter 2 describes what happened. Ephesians chapter 2, I'll get there, taking me forever, but Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. Ephesians 2 and verse 14. I'm going to start in verse 11. Let's hold our context. Ephesians 2, 11. Wherefore remember that you, being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, isn't that exactly true? Without that's exact, no hope without Christ. Verse 13, but now, I like the but nows, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh or close how? By the blood of Christ. Now watch verse 14. For he is our peace, watch, who hath made both, both what? Both Jew and Gentile, one, how? And hath broken down the middle wall of the partition between us. That, when that civil law, that judicial law was broken, it, that partition was broken down. Christ fulfilled it by his death on the cross. No more dieting, cooking. Actually, kosher no longer is involved here. There's no separate, did you see it? He broke down that partition. It's gone. It's gone. Now, let's add to that. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. As you go to Acts chapter 10, uh, we're going to be introduced to a man called Peter. Now, what do you know about Peter? He was a disciple of Jesus. Now, he would have grown up uh, in the nation Israel. There would have been very distinct, distinctive rules and regulations, ordinances. Now, watch as we unfold chapter 10, verse 1. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. When the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. When he had declared all these things unto him, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up unto the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, he does not know that these people are coming to get him. They have, they have no idea. But at this time, just before they come, Guess what happens? He falls into a trance. Verse 10, he became very hungry and would have eaten. That's a great time for God to unfold or unveil what he's going to do right now. Where's one of the worst places for you to be when you're really hungry? In a grocery store. Everything looks good, doesn't it? Everything looks good. Now, so if think of this. Now, Peter is very hungry, and now he's fallen into a trance. Now, it's significant if we keep reading. 
He saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending upon him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Oh, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Where's he living in? He's living in the ordinances, the laws of the Old Testament. Okay. Again, the voice spoke unto him the second time. What God hath cleansed, that call thou not thou common. This was done three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted himself what this vision should have been, should have meant, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherewith you are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of a good report among the nation of Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee in his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and a certain brethren from Joppa accompanied them. And what that is, is Cornelius was a Gentile. Did you see that? All of those things just evaporated. That was what was said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. That part of the law was fulfilled. It's ended. Turn with me now to Mark as we look at the ceremonial aspect of this. Mark chapter 15 and verse 38. Mark 15, verse 38. Mark 15, 38. Now, if you were to dial into this passage, and our context would be that literally Jesus Christ has been gone through numerous trials, they're all illegal, and he's been hung on a cross. He is being crucified. And watch verse 37. Mark chapter 15, verse 37. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. He has died. Watch. Verse 38. And the veil of the temple was rent or torn in two from the top to the bottom. And you say, well, what does that have? That is literally the ceremonial law coming to a complete conclusion all of the sacrificial system, which was pointing as it was a shadow, it was pointing at shadows until the real deal would come. That was Jesus Christ. And on that moment when Jesus Christ died, that and that veil, you know, when you think of a veil, you're thinking kind of like a wedding veil, right? Just over the, right? Just, you can almost see through them. Not this veil. This baby was about two feet thick. Is that about two feet? And that, excuse me? Am I fishing? <laughs> That's, that's my friend Larry. He fished. You ask him how, long, how big a fish he's got, and he'll tell you this long. It's this, this long, see, right? But at any rate, two feet thick, and it's, it's split from the top to the bottom. What did it separate? This is really key. Ceremonially, in the sacrificial system, we talked about it last week for a moment, Aaron, the high priest, or from his line, they literally would go into the holiest of holies. That's where, that's where God was. That's where he resided. That's where the mercy seat was. That's where they would apply, if you will, the blood that would allow them to go free from a payment. And that was nowhere that anybody went in there except on that one day. And if he was not right, they drug him out by a rope. And that veil on that day that separated the holiest of holies from the rest of the people, the Jew, from, I'm sorry, even from the Jews, I mean, Gentiles weren't even allowed to go into there. There was a court of which they had to stop. This literally was between God and the people, and it was ripped from top to bottom, and all of a sudden, everything was exposed. That must have blown their minds. But guess what? The ceremonial law was completed. It was finished. In fact, we go to Hebrews, and we'll find that, that he became our high priest. One time offered for, for, for all time. 
That's, that's fantastic, absolutely fantastic. But we also know, oh, let's go to Colossians chapter 2 for a moment. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Is there a higher setting on that air conditioner, Paul? Is that it? I'd crank that baby up because I'm hot up here. I don't know what you guys are back there. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. That is a great question. Just a second. I'll check where I was at. No, you are correct. Colossians chapter 2. Is that what I said first? Very good. Thank you. Listen to me the first time, apparently. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Colossians 2 and verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Exactly what took place as Jesus would have given his life up. Now, just go up to verse 14 and we'll start to work on the moral part of the law. Verse 14 It says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, as we've talked about already, the moral law, it does not cease. The Ten Commandments is still up and running. Correct? Because why? It's an extension of God's very nature and character. That's who God is. It it typifies who God is. But something it said, did you see it? All of those things were nailed to the cross. One of the things that did, in fact, of the moral law that got paid for, the law that was fulfilled, is the fact that Jesus paid the penalty. The penalty that you were under with the penalty of law. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 14. See, you're no longer under the power or the penalty of the law if you're in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Now watch this. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. For you are not under the penalty of the law, but under grace. That part of the law was taken care of. The wages of sin equals death. Christ took that penalty. He fulfilled that part of it. If you're in Romans chapter... Where were you just at now? Where did I leave you? Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Watch. Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. To everyone that believeth. Galatians chapter 5. Your, your Bibles are probably getting warm. Their pages are turning and smoking probably. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, you're out from under the curse of the law, that penalty. That, that part of the law that would have condemned you, that Jesus Christ paid for. But the law didn't go away. It was our schoolmaster. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3 for a moment. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. Because literally, you are now dead to the law. It's accomplished its purpose. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. We don't have to be under its power anymore. 
We're not cursed by it anymore. We're not condemned by it anymore. Jesus Christ paid for that. As we walk in the Spirit, as we yield to the Spirit, we're energized by the Spirit and literally fulfill the law in a positive way. The gospel is actually exalting the law. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now, what happens to us when we're in Christ? We have died to the law. We have died to sin. Now, let me try to get an analogy that may seem a little bit weird, but hopefully it, it sets. It works for me. So let's say that you have died and you're in the pine box in the back of a hearse. And the funeral director is driving you to the burial site. And he's in a hurry because he started late. And he's speeding. And the patrolman pulls him over. You don't get the ticket. He does. You are dead to the law. That's pretty good, isn't it? Maybe it's a weird example, but it's exactly right. And when we're dead to the law, no tickets, no penalties. We're dead to the law. And that's exactly what we are when we are in Christ, because he paid the penalty for our sin. Now, the un in fact, let, let, let's go to something else here. I think this helps us. I, I'm hoping it'll kind of tie together. One of the Ten Commandments, if we think of Ten Commandments, there's one that is not repeated in the New Testament. Only one. Nine of the ten are continually repeated in the New Testament, the New Covenant. There's one that is not. Which one is that? Yeah, to keep the Sabbath holy. It is not mentioned in the sense of repeating it to be, to be done. So why is that? Well, just as there's parts of the law that have been fulfilled... Are, yeah, the ceremonial law and the, and the judicial law, there's also within the moral law that it continues to go on. We shouldn't find it too odd that maybe some of those or one of those may have been fulfilled, which I believe the Sabbath day has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let's go to Hebrews for a moment. This is just me a little bit of a, uh, well, you know me, we've got all kinds of rabbit trails, but let's go down this because it fits, I'm hoping, makes sense. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Oh, and I just found that other passage too. As you're turning to Hebrews, I'm going to read that one that I told you I lost and I had written it down. It's uh, Matthew chapter 24. I'll just read it for you. You don't need to go there. Go to Hebrews chapter 3 and wait for me for a second. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. It says this. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. That's the one I was looking for back if you remember correctly. Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8. Now, as, as you're, before we do that, let's talk, talk to me and tell me what the Sabbath is all about. Remember to keep the Sabbath holy. Okay? And what, what did God do on the Sabbath? What day of the week is the Sabbath? It's the seventh. God worked, which I don't, he really just spoke this stuff, and that's how great God is. Everything that you see or know about and beyond I mean, these stars that are just literally hanging out into the middle of nowhere, he just spoke those into existence. But it took six days. I'm impressed. On the seventh day, it said, though, that God rested. There's two aspects to the Sabbath. One is holiness. Two is rest. Okay? Now, let's keep that in mind as we go on. 
Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, we'll start in verse 8. Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. What period of time is he talking about? The, the writer of the Hebrews. He's talking about the time when the Israelites had been removed from Egypt. They are headed to the promised land. And they says they have hardened hearts. What's, what's a characteristic of a hardened heart? Do you have a hardened heart today? Do I have a hardened heart here? What, what is a hardened heart? What is a hardened heart? Unbelief. It literally, it'll, it'll come to us. Let's keep watching now. Uh, he's speaking to these to the Israelites. He says in verse 80, let's read it again. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation of the day of the temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart. Is it any wonder that Jesus came to talk about the heart? It's always a heart issue, isn't it? And they have not known my way. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. To my rest. A picture of the land of Canaan, which would have been a picture of rest. Now let's turn over with that in mind. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and let's look at verses 1 through 4. Chapter 4 of Hebrews. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the, Lord, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Again, you see the sense of unbelief and belief. Verse 3, for which, for we which have believed, watch, did you see it? For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And if you remember Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, what did it talk about? Before God made anything, he had decided that he was going to choose all of the Christians in Christ before he made anything. All of the work was accomplished, literally, by God knew Jesus Christ would fulfill everything needed to accomplish what he needed to have done in the sense of holding justification. Now, keep going. For he spoke in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Did you see it put together? Did you see that? Literally, the Sabbath is a picture of what happens to us. Let's keep reading. Verse Five, let's continue on. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached and entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth the certain day, saying in David, today after so long a time as it is said, today you will hear this voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore... A rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Literally, that picture of the Sabbath, of what Jesus, when you are in Jesus, you have a rest from your works to try to get to God. It's over, it's done. He finished it. And literally, you then have enjoyed. The Sabbath, because what else happens when you take Jesus Christ, when you accept him? His works of righteousness become yours. Remember that account, just what we did on the board? We had split that down there. And greatest trade of all time. 
What you had to offer Christ was sin and death. He took that and he gave you in exchange a full imputation of righteousness. And you can rest in that and holiness and righteousness become yours. I'm convinced that's why that keeping the day, the Sabbath in the New Testament is not repeated because it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and every one of you that has trusted Christ. Now you say, well, can you worship on the Sabbath? You should be worshiping every day because literally when you're in Jesus Christ, you are holy and resting in him every single day. Now we meet on Sunday and that's where if you go back to Acts when the church started, they started worshiping on the Sunday, which was a day to commemorate Jesus Christ's resurrection, which proved that God was satisfied with everything that needed to be completed. But from those verses in Hebrews, I think it's pretty apparent that literally we are resting in Jesus, which is our Sabbath. I hope that made sense. We're going to come back from the rabbit trail, and let's come back now to, let's see. Where were we at? Romans chapter 7, I believe. Romans chapter 7. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7. And let's talk a little bit about the law again in the sense of, let's look at verses 4 through 6. The law has no dominion over a dead person. Verse 4 of chapter 7 of Romans. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, what happened when Jesus Christ was resurrected and the Feast of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came down on those believers? And at that time, what began? The church. And who is the church? They are the bride of Christ. Did you see that? When we are dead in sin, dead to the law, we become all of Jesus Christ, and we literally are married to him who was the resurrected one. We are, we are completely connected to him. Verse 6, same chapter. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the, of the letter. Now, uh, is the problem the law? Everybody okay with that? I heard two no's, and the no's have it. It's exactly right. In fact, the law, there is nothing wrong with the law, but what, is, what was the law? What did it do? What did the law really do? It showed us that we were sinners. If there was no law, there'd be no way to know. That's why I kind of like the no speed limit. The last thing that's ever going to get uh, convicted on my body is the right foot. It has a way. It's heavy. It's, my right foot is heavier than my left. And so I would rather not have any law about speed, but there is. And that gives that patrolman the opportunity and the right to reel me in. Correct? That's what the law did. The law showed us that we were the problem. The law is not the problem. We are the problem. And now here's, here's what's really cool. The only way that one can literally come to Christ and have a Savior is only if you know you need one. 
That's why America is struggling today. We've had it so good for so long, we don't even know we have a problem, correct? We got plenty of problems now, obviously, and we always have. But, but the point is, until we really see the need for a savior, you don't even want one. In fact, I'm, this just hit me like a ton of bricks. Let's go to what I think is a description of the latter, uh, the church in the last days. Hold your place in Romans, and let's turn back to Revelation for a moment. Revelation chapter 3. And I want you to see something. This would be uh, the church of Laodicea. It would be a church that would be indicative of maybe what we would call the last church prior just to the tribulation period, which I think we're probably really close. Revelation chapter 3. Let's watch now in verse 14. I want you to see what was reality and what they saw. Revelation 3.14. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art, art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You see, that's a pretty good description of what's taking place. We don't even know what kind of shape we're in right now, do we? And I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking us as a nation. We've been blessed for so long, we don't even know we're in trouble, as deep trouble as we're in. And what did we say? Truth matters. The truth hurts. But you know what? I want to know what's wrong. You can't fix anything unless you know something's wrong. Don't lie to me, right? Don't lie to me. And that would be the worst thing in a doctor. The doctor gets the results, and you're, you're terminal, and you've got about three weeks to live. I'm just making this up. Now, I'm not talking about it. There's no one here. You get it? Okay. But I, you know what I want to know? I want to know that i got three weeks to live. Don't tell me I'm going to live for four years or ten years or whatever. Tell me the truth. That's why truth is the only way for us to move forward. It's the only way to make peace. You have to have truth to be able to move forward. Without truth, you have nothing. That literally to me is still. I don't know where that day was. I don't even know what year it was when America threw out absolute truth. And that's absolute truth for all people, for all times, for all reasons. It's it, it just fixed. It's a fixed deal. That's based on God's law. Without God's truth, it's impossible to have that. That is where we really lost it. And probably even a little before, because that was beginning. That was actually one of the things we talked about in Romans chapter 1, that God gave us over to our lusts and the sexual revolution, which really was really rampant in the 60s. Because why? There was no fixture. There was no foundation. We had thrown it away. In the Bible out of the school. Excuse me? In the Bible out of the school. Yeah, and, and pr prayer and Bible out of the school. When we took the fixture of kids coming up in... And yes, we could pray by ourselves. Yes, you can read the Bible by yourself. But when we seem to distance ourselves from what truth is all about, then truth became whatever you wanted truth to be. That's where we are today. In Judges, they did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, they did their own thing. America has been doing its own thing for way too long. We need to do God's thing God's way. We got to get her done. Truth matters. Truth matters. I'm kind of on that, aren't I? Yeah, truth matters. Where did I leave you? Romans. Okay, let's... Um, oh, the law revealing sin. I, you, have to, you have to know the truth. You must have sin. You must have the law reveal sin for you to know that you're a sinner. That's, that's key. 
But I want you to see something. Now, the law, now look at verse, uh, where did I, what was it, verse 6? Verse 6, let's read it again. Verse 6, chapter 7. But now we are delivered from the law. And, you know, now this is the point many times we say, see, we're delivered from the law. We're no longer in the law. Grace has taken us outside of that. I want you to th- keep that in mind. Now, the penalty of the law is gone. If you've trusted Christ, the penalty, the condemnation is gone forever because you've been justified. That's to be declared not guilty by what Jesus Christ accomplished. But now watch this. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 21. For to them that are without law, as without law being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. What he's saying there in a long roundabout way is the fact, you know what? Even though Christ paid for the penalty of the law, you are still under the law of Christ. You're still under the righteousness, uh, the demands of the righteousness of God. Now, let's go back to Romans chapter 7 and look at verse 7. Here we go. Because he's, he's already anticipating what someone would think. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law the problem? God forbid. No, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Verse 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence or covetousness, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That's exactly right. Now, watch. This is the verse that sometimes you need to remind yourselves of. In verse 12, stay right, just zip down a couple more verses. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 12, and it says this. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. There's nothing in the world wrong with the law. Nothing in the world. We just can't keep it. Turn all the way down to verse 22. Uh, Paul is, is spoken of honestly of the fact that he himself, the apostle, the apostle Paul, the great one, we would signify him by. But he says in verse 22, for I delight, chapter 7, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Now, one of the things uh, that is interesting, we're going to go to 1 John in a minute. How do you know... How does God, or how, how do you know that you love God? And think of this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We worked through chapter 8 many times, a long time, I should say it that way. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, For all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. What is it that determines whether we love God? Is that the fact that we're under the grace package that Jesus Christ died for us? Obedience. We must love the thing that God loves and hate the thing that God hates. What does God love? Righteousness, holiness, justice, mercy. See, all of those things that we really talked about in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus has just unfolded for us. That's what God loves. And the things he hates are on the flip side, the opposite side of that. So now watch this. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. 
1 John chapter 5, and let's look at verses 2 and 3. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. We're about to wind down here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know, I want to pay attention now, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Did anybody miss that? Let me read it again. This is, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And as John said, you might have missed it the first time, I'm going to run it by you again. This is how we know that we love God, is we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. That's even another little ad. Have you ever done this? Suppose we've got to go to church. Let's hurry up and go. Right? Now, that's grievous, isn't it? That person doesn't want to go to church. And I will say, as a youngster, kind of a teenager, kind of a kid, right? My dad had this rule. He was in charge. That was never debated. (laughs) Never debated. Dad was in charge. And if dad said go to church, we went to church. But I'll be honest, inside, I didn't want to go to church. You ever seen that look? It's called pouting, right? Got that long lip, dragging in the gravel. Hmm. Right? You can, that is exactly, see, that's not loving God. Then the commandments are what? Grievous. But when Jesus lives within you, guess what else happens? The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. He's our down payment. He's the earnest, and he won't leave until the day of redemption, which literally is to the very end where we're glorified, and then we, I mean, it's just going to be so fantastic. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I've told you this a number of times. I can't wait to be in the presence of my Savior. I can't wait to see his nail-scarred hands that he paid for me, just me. He would have done it just for me, but he did it for you too. And I'm going to wrap my arms around him and just say, I love you. But you know how he knows you, how we love him now? His keeping his commandments. See, God's law didn't just evaporate. It's not, in other words, we're under grace. We no longer, we can do whatever we want to do. No, a thousand times no. The moral law is fully and completely in place because it, defi- it, it describes who God is. It's an extension of his character and his nature. You see, it would be totally contrary to who God is if we would just say, well, I don't really want to, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Oh, we've missed it then, haven't we? Who's in charge? We are. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. The Holy Spirit lives within us when we've trusted Christ. Can you imagine going through this world without the Holy Spirit living within you? I don't want any part of it. That's why the next phase, the next time frame, the dispensation that's coming to us, the next one to come, we spoke of just briefly last week, is that of the tribulation. And it says that the restrainer, that speaking of the Holy Spirit, will be taken out. You know how that happens? Because the church is taken out. Right now, the Holy Spirit lives within every single believer that's trusted Christ Jesus. And when that Holy Spirit leaves, I don't want to be here. But I'm going to say this. God does miraculous works. This is the time frame, that seven-year period. There's three years, three and a half years, and then three and a half. The last three and a half are a bear cat. A bear cat. But at the very end, you know what happens? The Jewish people, the Israelites, that God had used, that has had a unique and special privileged relationship with, they're finally going to see their Messiah for who he is. And that will be a grand, grand day. In the meantime... 
we're here. We're occupying. We're excited to be doing God's business. But I'd like you to turn to, uh, actually, where did I leave you? First John chapter 2. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Two more passages. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Man, just talking about a relationship that we have. Oh, I'm in 1 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy. I'm sorry, I failed. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Watch. For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, that is mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That is the complete package. We don't do what we want to do. We do what God wants us to do. And then one last one, Romans chapter 5, verse 21. We spent a lot of time in Romans today. Romans chapter 5, verse 21. I just saw this one here uh, just momentarily, just before I came up here. It just spoke to me. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 21. Thinking about this, how grace and righteousness work together. Verse 21, Romans chapter 5, it says, That as sin hath reigned unto death, that is so true, even so, might grace reign how? Through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we think about the believer's relationship to the law, the law is preeminent, it's permanent, it's pertinent, and next week we're going to again look at its purpose in verse 20. Any questions or comments today? Is this, I'm hoping this has helped you expand in the sense and seeing the, uh, the law maybe in just a little bit different light and understanding it a little more clearly of what it all fits together. And Jesus Christ is all for the law. It's not gone. It's still here. It's still in force, God's moral law. And it's for our good. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love, for your care. And we would ask, Father, that uh, if there's anything said today that is not true and is not honorable and is not glorifying to you that would be quickly evaporated from our minds but father those things that are true and that do glorify you and that do exist for our good we would ask that those be accentuated we would ask that they would they would continue to reverberate through the very essence of our soul that we would have a clearer and more concise understanding of you we thank you, Father, that the moral law that you've given to us literally is an extension of your character, your nature. And it's our opportunity, Father, to see you even more clearly than we ever have. On this week, as these people gathered here today, and in the hearing of my voice, will literally canvas the earth, potentially, Father. We don't know where we're going to be taken. But Father, I would ask that the message of Jesus Christ is truly what matters and that we would not only say it, but we would live it. And Father, if there's someone that does not know Jesus Christ personally, that even in these moments right now, as we're quietly and somberly speaking to you, the eternal God, the one that loves to hear from us, that person right now having the opportunity to just humbly bow in the internal part of their life, that heart, the thing that drives their decisions, saying, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need a Savior. I've got a sin problem that I can't fix, I can't get over, I can't cure. But I trust you 
I believe that you conquered it. I want to give my life to you, Jesus, now. If that person has prayed that simple prayer, there's something that has happened. First and foremost, they are made righteous. They are declared righteous to be justified, as it, sa as it said. And the Holy Spirit has taken, taken a room in their heart to be indwelt forever. Father, I would pray for that person or persons that have just, just now made that commitment, made that turnaround in their life. Father, may you make yourself clear to them. Father, may the faith that they've exhibited, may you respond to that, giving them what they need to grow moment by moment and day by day. I thank you, Father, for the law that showed us our need for Jesus. Father, I pray for that family this week that, I, that you allowed me to share about Jesus and their loss, the grief that they're suffering. I would ask that you'd hold them tight. It may be also an opportunity for them to show them their need for a Savior. Father, thank you for what Jesus accomplished. He truly matters. What he accomplished 2,000 years ago is nothing short of miraculous and love that is without name or bound to die for us before we even loved him. As he claimed prayed or said those last three words, it is finished. His physical life ended, but it was the beginning of a whole new era, a whole new time frame, the end of the beginning, if you would, for us to have opportunity to be regained in fellowship for something that had separated us, that diabolical sin that had waged war and it emanated in death. And Father, that victory was won when Jesus Christ fulfilled the law that the Old Testament was all about Him doing. And Father, we thank You for all of the things that You've given to us. We thank You for our freedoms. We just pray, Father, for those across this land that individually we would get a sense of a responsibility before a God see with clarity the greatness, the grandeur, the awesomeness, the sovereignty of a God that's fully, completely, and 100% in control and has provided for us everything we need to get through. Again, I ask that as, we, as I lift up these people, Father, would you strengthen them, help them to put on the full armor of God to protect them against the wiles of the devil, the evil one. Provide, protect, go with them. Thank you, Father. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.